Welcome to the Growing Rural Podcast, where we focus on all things rural in South Carolina. We will discuss topics on healthcare, economy, education, and the unique culture that is our rural state. This podcast is supported by the South Carolina Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. Please join us for today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Growing Rural Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Bennett. Our guests today are Julie Smithwick and Romaine Stevens. Julie is the director of the Center for Community Health Alignment here in Columbia. Romaine is a community health worker with the South Carolina Office of Rural Health and a community health worker ambassador for the state. So welcome, Julie and Romaine. Thank Thank you. you. So I'll start with you, Julie. Um, Tell us a little bit about your center and how you got into doing this work that you're doing. Thanks. Thanks for having us this morning. Um, The Center for Community Health Alignment is part of the University of South Carolina Arnold School Public Health, and our mission is to co-create solutions to advance health equity alongside communities. So I'll tell you a little bit about what that means. Um, First of all, I got into this work because um, I lived in Ecuador, South America for about four and a half years um, after my college days. Mm. And one of the reasons that I stayed so long is because the first couple of years I was there working with very uh, impoverished communities that were under-resourced um, is that a lot of the things that I would try to do failed and mm-hmm. didn't, you know, just d- didn't didn't stick and communities weren't receptive and didn't show up. And I kept, you know, hitting my head against the wall and saying, why is this not working? Um, and, and finally, I, start, I started listening to folks, right? Mm-hmm. I was trying to input into the communities my solutions and what I thought was right for them. Right. And what I realized was that it, for something to really work, communities need to be engaged. And in fact, communities need to be the decision makers in the communities. They yeah. know what their strengths are. Communities right. know what their challenges are. And they know a lot of what a lot of the solutions are. Right. They know what's going to work. Exactly. Yeah. So I became a community health worker. I was trained in Ecuador as a community health worker. Um, I learned some skills that for community health workers are essential, Um, building trust with communities, building from people's assets, starting from where a family is and what they know is important to them and helping to coach them and and, and build the resources and skills they need to address their own problems from their point of view. Um, And the central uh, component of starting with communities and really looking at communities as assets and folks that have the power, correct. Uh, I'll, I'll correct that. They don't always have the power, mm-hmm. right, or the resources, but they right. have the ideas and the strengths and the assets they need to um, to really address their own challenges. So that's really what the Center for Community Health Alignment partners with folks to do. Mm-hmm. Trying to get them over the edge, so to speak. Give yeah, them that and, and, and to... be that bridge between. So we've got, you know, resources in our state, like state government. We've got fantastic universities. We've got um, funders. We've got, a, you know, great public health system, health care systems. And then we've got a lot of communities out there that need support and resources, right. some a whole lot more than others. So when we talk about equity, right, equity means that different communities have different resources and different people based on like where they were born, who their parents are, you know, how how much financial resources they have access to, et cetera, um, you know, what kind of uh, environmental, social issues their communities face or don't face. Um, you know, people ha- are, are on that equity scale or somewhere, right? But um, a lot of times, folks who want to support those communities that face more inequities 
kind of come into those communities and, and want to help, right? And want to share those resources and give those ideas and those programs. But again, going back to my experience in Ecuador, those programs and those solutions are not going to work and not be effective if we don't start from where the people are right. and their ideas and, and the leaders in that community. Right. And so you came back to the States after that experience, obviously, because you're here now. And then what? You started the center whole cloth or was it incremental? Yeah, so I came back to the States. I um, taught school for a couple years with immigrants. And again, um, I I taught English as a second language and was working with uh, the immigrant population because I was bilingual and bicultural at that point. Mm -hmm. Spoke fluent Spanish and had spent a lot of time in Latin America. And the same same idea, right? Like seeing that um, even within the school system, folks were struggling with like, how do we get these parents involved? You know, the parents right. aren't showing up. And right. some, some folks would even say they must not care about their kids' education. And me being in the middle, I would talk to the parents and the parents would say, no, of course, that, that's why we're here. You know, that we, we do, of course, care about our kids' education, but we don't have access. When we go there, they don't speak our language right. or we don't know how it works. And so right. I got in the middle and said, okay, well, let me start a program where I can help the parents learn how the school system works, right, and become more engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these ideas continued to percolate, got my master's in social work, and had some relationships here at the State Department uh, of Health in South Carolina. And um, at that time, it just so happened that the Hispanic population in our state, the Latino population, was growing really rapidly, mm-hmm. um, especially the birth and fertility rate. So mm-hmm. the State Health Department um, Division of Perinatal Systems asked me to do some research on like, what does this population need? How can we help meet their needs? So I did that research, presented it, and was offered a little bit of funding. And when I say little, like right. this much, right. the, the the person actually said, I can pay you part-time for six months to start something to help this population. Right, so right. so jumped in and did it. And yeah. that's where uh, the organization PASOS that I started mm-hmm. um, was formed in 2005. Okay. So that was kind of the next step. Um, and PASOS, from the very beginning, based on these experiences I had had, we started with the community health worker model. Right. I said, you know what? When I lived in Ecuador, when I worked with immigrant mm-hmm. families before, what they said was, we want to make good decisions. We want to have access to the system. We want to advocate for ourselves. Sometimes we just need somebody that we can trust right. to walk by our side and help us do that, to be that um, and help us learn to advocate for ourselves. So right. for 14 years, I ran PASOS, and we started a whole network of community health workers that were immigrants themselves, mm-hmm. speak Spanish, had that same experience mm-hmm. of the folks that they were helping that can help them connect to resources, learn to advocate for themselves, um, really build on those strengths and, the, and and help them connect to the things that they needed to, to be successful so that they and their families can really um, thrive like they want to. Right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe community health workers, a big component of the model is to draw the workers from the community itself, right? Exactly, exactly. That's the essential component is that a community health worker be from the community that they're serving Mm -hmm. or like in my case, have spent a long time really working to understand and embrace and 
um, really study and, and and learn and be able to build trust with members of that community. Right. Ideally, it's somebody from that community, which mm-hmm. is again why I'm kind of in this administrative role and a little bit stepped back now because I know I'm not the most effective person right. um, because I'm not an immigrant or I'm not somebody from a rural community right. that can really do that more more naturally. Right. Or a person of color, for example. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And so a couple years ago, um, when I stepped down from the role of PASOs, you brought up person of color. You know, I led PASOs for 14 years. And at that time, we had, after after that time, we had a whole team of incredible community health worker leaders. And I stepped back and said, you know what? I'm not Latina. I don't need to be leading this organization anymore. It's time for the community to lead itself. They don't need me anymore. So I stepped down. Now PASOs is led by people of color completely. fantastic team of statewide community health workers they don't need me so i stepped away and started the center for community health alignment about about two years ago but our goal now is um to really support the community health worker workforce and growing and thriving and being Mm -hmm. able to become sustainable Mm -hmm. um and and really grow in our state based on best practices Mm -hmm. um and also to to partner with community health workers and other community leaders to again show how and develop processes so that these ideas and these leaders can really help drive change within their own communities. And one of the things that we do, and we done from day one, is that everything that we do, every product that we develop, every best practice, every training, we have a group of community health worker experts from the communities across South Carolina mm-hmm. called community health worker ambassadors. And everything that we do, we get their input on because they're the ones that know. They're right. the ones that are in these communities Face-to-face that are, are that are community. supporting communities every single day. Right. So one of our community health worker ambassadors um, is here with me today, Romaine Stevens. Right. And um, she is a fantastic long-term community health worker that's been doing this work in the field. Um, and I, I'd love for y'all to, to hear from her. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a perfect segue to Miss Stevens, Romaine. What? Thank you for joining us. And you know, I'm curious about your personal journey, how you ended up doing this work, and what drove you to um, do what you do. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> I can't even follow Julie because <laughs> she is <laughs> a pioneer in her own right. right. Um, but what started me on this journey is that I started working with babies and Mm -hmm. moms. And one of the things that I found when working with the moms that I was servicing was that they did not have an advocate for them. Mm -hmm. They didn't have someone um, that could help them understand what they were getting from their healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. So they would go to the provider and the provider would feel frustrated, like, oh, they just want to be sick or they just don't want to feel better they don't right. want to and and listening to the client they just didn't understand what they were being asked for they didn't understand what the medicine was and why they were taking it mm-hmm. and that the side effects from the medicine may happen but that was all part of it and so what I wanted to do was improve the health outcome. I wanted them to understand what the doctor was saying Mm -hmm. and why they should take their medicine, why they should um, know what their blood pressure is, why that's important. I mean, it's your own body, but you should know what they know. That's the context and and connecting that context. Right. Key, right. And so 
the good thing about what I was able to do working through um, South, Carolina, South Carolina Office of Rural Health Family Solutions was that they already had a multidisciplinary team established where they had a set of providers where they brought the doctors in and they would talk to the doctors. They would mm-hmm. bring in social workers, community health workers, and and they would have a, t- a discussion. Mm-hmm. So they would have the doctor, they would have the um, community health workers and they would talk about the clients so mm-hmm. now when the doctor goes back to deal with the client they had a better understanding of what was going on in the home right well that full that context full right <laughs> so um for example one of the young ladies um she was missing her appointments and they was getting ready to discharge her from the practice mm-hmm. so they didn't know that she was being abused at home that she didn't have a job, she didn't have transportation right. to get to the appointment. And right. it wasn't that she just, you know, didn't want to come, but she was being abused and she had some other issues that was preventing her from coming. Significant so, barriers to coming. Right. right. And that right. kind of helped them to understand um, and to be a little more lenient with that particular client. Sure. So a lot of different things brought me into it, but to see um, a mom have a healthy outcome means everything to me mm-hmm. so um and to see women go their whole nine months and have a a baby that's not alive it just mm-hmm. is just depressing and so i don't want those women to experience that if mm-hmm. there's something i can do with the education that i have and the relationship that i have with the provider to bridge that gap to make sure that these babies come out healthy these moms are healthy then that's what I want to be able to do. So that's what brought me into it. And that's what thrives and pushes me mm-hmm. to keep going with the um, work that I do. Yeah, that's, that sounds great. So you work for the State Office of Rural Health? South, yep, the South Carolina Office of Rural Health Family, Family Solutions. Solutions. So you work for them. How do you get in the system? You know, How do you connect with a mom, with a pregnant woman, with a healthcare provider? How does that work? Because it sounds complicated it might be complicated but (laughs) (laughs) but um i think the majority part of it is like um julie just said knowing what's in your area Mm -hmm. building those relationships with the providers so going out finding who these ladies are going to who their doctors are who Mm -hmm. do you go to this is your doctor let's get a relationship with that doctor okay going to that practice establishing a relationship with the practice to see if they would be willing to assist in the mission Mm -hmm. we also get our referrals from um dhec we get it from word of mouth we get it from the providers that we establish those relationships with we get it from anybody that'll listen anyone that will anybody can call in anyone can call in they don't have to have any particular income guideline to get services they just have to be pregnant and so that's where we get the majority of our referrals from so, you know, wonkish question, but how is that funded? How is that a sustainable program here in the state? So we get funding from HRSA. HRSA? HRSA. I think I'm saying Health right. Resources <laughs> Services Administration yeah. for mm-hmm. those out there. Yeah. So it's through Healthy Start. So okay. we're under the South Carolina Office of Rural Health, but they got a grant from Healthy Start. So okay. it's grant funded for a period of years. Okay. And so with that funding, they employ the, mm-hmm. folks like yourself to go out there and connect with doctors, connect with women, and improve outcomes. And I'll say that that program has significant outcomes. Sure. So Healthy Sounds Start. Like it. Just listen um, to that. Yeah. yeah, and she's being humble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
but that program um, works in rural counties mm-hmm. uh, of South Carolina, some of the most um, under-resourced communities that face poverty, that face mm-hmm. access issues, where hospitals have been closed down, right. where they struggle to even find OBs right. during pregnancy. And yet, because of the work that they're doing, the infant mortality rate, which in our state is very inequitable, right. because for African-American women across the income spectrum, it's much higher than any other group. Right. Yet, where they're working with some of the most at-risk families in our state, their infant mortality is like four points lower than the rest of the states yeah. for, for that That's demographic. Right. And so you know the work that they're doing again with this very needy population is is tremendous um and and part of it i'd love to hear you say more remain about some of the social issues you guys are addressing because a lot of folks may think that healthy pregnancies are about clinical care right like Mm. prenatal care access to an ob and that's all you need and you're good but you brought up that you know moms um, that mom that you were talking about that had uh, that was facing domestic violence, and um, and the, what a lot of folks don't realize is that sometimes it's the social things people are facing, mm-hmm. or you know, economic issues or mental health issues that mm-hmm. people are facing that really affect their ability to be healthy. So, what what are some of the other things that you see your moms and families facing that that affect their pregnancies and their birth outcomes that like you know that everybody doesn't always know about right Right. and for those on the podcast she is shaking her head and just because i'm I'm sure she's overwhelmed with the the (laughs) issues (laughs) no just thinking oh lord just thinking about what they go through um i've been in i'm just going to give some examples of what i've seen that'd be great yeah i've been in, in homes where um some of the one particular lady she was um, bipolar schizophrenic mm-hmm. um, and I went in and she was talking fine at one moment hey how you doing and you know I just like in an instant um, and so with that one particular lady she was being abused like her husband was abusing her and not only was he abusing her he was abusing her mom mm-hmm. and she didn't understand what was going on, why he was doing what he was doing. He would make her sleep on the floor, mm. wouldn't let her eat. She lost like 20 pounds within um, three months of me knowing her mm-hmm. because he was starving her. And she did not think that what she was enduring was cruel and unusual like punishment. Yeah. Um, and they, she didn't have any running water. Mm. She would use the bathroom in the bucket and throw it out the window, like. And so she's she's pregnant and she's trying to have a healthy outcome. She doesn't understand what's going on. So right. when she goes to the doctor, the um, the doctor really wasn't understanding what was going on with her. But we were able to bring social workers in to try to help her mm-hmm. um, get services that she needed mm-hmm. to bridge that gap. Um, we were able to help with the domestic violence part. Um, so it's way more than just them going to the doctor and getting that doctor appointment. They're facing other issues or not having any type of income at all, and they're on their 12th pregnancy. Right. What about things like um, you find 
issues of, of being able to get food, enough food during pregnancy or healthy food or like housing being an yeah. issue? Do you find folks that, that face those kind of things? Yeah, housing, um, I, we see housing issues all the time mm-hmm. because they are getting put out of their homes because they don't have income coming in. Um, or if the one of the particular houses, they may have income coming in, but there's roaches and rats mm-hmm. and ticks, like the babies are getting bit by ticks and there's no windows and there's um, no heating in the house and there's, a, it may be like a two bedroom trailer, this particular one I'm thinking about, it's a two bedroom trailer and there's nine people living in there mm-hmm. with like a newborn, a one year old, a two year old, a three year old. Like, And so these are types of things that people that are living in situations of poverty face. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like they can go into their doctor's appointment and nobody even knows about no, this. And so yeah. like, what would be your role, like with that family that you just described that's facing those housing issues and all the all the health stuff that's going on in that home? Like how could you as a community health worker help that family and then also help those clinicians understand? understand? Mm-hmm. Right, so with that particular family, we were able to get them connected to a resource through South Carolina State University that came in and they could fix the house. Nice. And okay. fix what they were going through as far as the physical house. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a food bank that was able to come in and you know provide food for the house. Okay. So there are resources out there for them, but I don't know if they would have had <laughs> any of that if not a community health worker who knew the right. resources could come in or someone who had those connections with other agencies could come in and bring that to the home. Mm-hmm. So, and then like you were saying earlier, that same family, they have to travel an hour to get mm-hmm. the prenatal care. Mm-hmm. So that's another barrier. Not only are they having issues in their home, but then they have to travel mm-hmm. an hour. So now we have to come in and provide them education on what signs and symptoms of preterm labor, when you what should go to the for. hospital, right. what to expect when you go to the hospital, because they can't just pick up and go because right. they don't have the ability so to get significant there. significant burden, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, so it sounds like a lot of this might be occurring because there are different norms in some communities and some populations. Like you were saying when the mother was like, well, that's not a big deal. Right. You know, I wonder if you are able to better overcome those hurdles um, than a, you know, white male physician, for example. You know, if somebody like me came in there and told them that, they'd probably brush me off. But someone from the community, like you were saying, is able to connect and they might listen mm-hmm. more closely because they understand you better. They, they're they like, oh, no, she understands me. And mm-hmm. do you, have you seen that? Have you felt that kind of experience? I felt that, especially when it came to birth control. So when we mm-hmm. talked to them about... Um, pregnancy spacing. Let's say they're they're on their sixth pregnancy and we're talking to them about birth control. They read everything on Facebook or social media and so they believe that as law. Social media is law and grandma is law. (laughs) Those two people are law. (laughs) So grandma says or uh, something that they read says they they typically believe that but when you can come in and you you part of it is sharing your own experience like mm-hmm. you, not to the point you get too personal but it's almost like a give and take you have yeah. to be realistic you have to be not so high above them but put yourself on their level so it's right. almost like sympathy and empathy you have to feel with them mm-hmm. and when they know that you care 
then they listen. Mm-hmm. They they don't care how much you know. They mm-hmm. don't. You could be the doctor so and so. They don't care how much you know. They they want to know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And once you go in and you care with them and you help them to understand, I really want this for you, and I want you to want it for yourself, and help them set those goals. And help them see themselves reaching those goals. Then you're making an impact. Then their grandma, who's in the house, see that that child is changing, and mm-hmm. grandma is now like, "Baby, you know she did take up prenatal vitamins today." <laughs> <laughs> so grandma is excited, and so yeah. now grandma is reinforcing what we're bringing into the home. And grandma is getting on the phone because you know the phone still works. Right. This lady came to my house <laughs> and she talked to my grand. And now, <laughs> you know, it's helping to spread mm-hmm. you know the trust and it's helping them to by the word of mouth well ain't your grandbaby pregnant you need to call that program i don't know they might mix the name up and mix your name up they may call you oh that nurse uh they'll call you whatever they think they want to call you <laughs> um but community health workers really do make a difference in that not just for that person but you're you're affecting that family and mm-hmm. that family is affecting the community right and it's like you said you know you just brought up and that was just a perfect example because you let's say that you as a white male doctor or somebody or or me as a white public health you know person right went into that family i can't imagine grandma being like oh you know this person came in and she got me and i'm gonna refer her to your family and your grandbaby i mean that happens because romaine is a person of trust and shares a background and a culture and has those skills and that Mm -hmm. empathy and that Mm -hmm. compassion and that passion to connect with that family and to right. build trust. Right. And that's where it's at. And so mm-hmm. she's able to affect, I mean, we've heard stories already this morning about all these different changes that she's helped people make for themselves and like true, real changes. Right. And what I'm understanding and hearing as well is that like all of these realities, she's able to translate that and share with the clinicians and medical team and help them be like, oh, you mm-hmm. said one time, you know, that the doctor had more patience with this patient and said, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going I'm to treat him a little bit with a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, uh, patience and understanding because I didn't know this was going on in their right. home and in their right. community, right? So she's able to like kind of help both sides understand each right. other and then make changes that affect not just that individual but that whole community right and none of that would have happened if we didn't have a chw going to the home going to the context and making those connections yeah so i'm curious you know here we are it's middle of january 2021 um light emerging at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic but i'm curious especially romaine what you've seen out in your communities among your patients and folks who are impacted by COVID, um, you know, what What do you think is next? What do we need? What can we do next to help elevate these communities, these folks who are frankly being left behind um, in, you know, COVID impact interventions? We were just talking before we got on here about the lack of vaccines out in these underserved communities. You know, what, what, do you, what have you seen and what do you think we can do next to help out? Honestly, Everyone that um, that I know has had someone die from COVID. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's so mind-boggling. Because mm-hmm. you think about everyone that you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone that I know has someone that died from COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely not my context. And to give wow. some credence to that, you know, I know a handful of people who have had it. 
I don't mm-hmm. know anyone who has passed from it. Yeah, and the, no. so that's that's very sobering. Right, and and not even just um, my not just the clients, but I'm like in my family, mm-hmm. at my job, mm-hmm. like. So being that they, I don't know anyone being offered the vaccine. I don't know anyone that took the vaccine. Right. You're my first. Right. Right. Um. So how it's going to change? I don't know because if no one knows someone, because that's pretty much back again. Grandma, grandma don't know no one. <laughs> grandma didn't say, "Oh, I know Johnny," and mm-hmm. Johnny took it, and Johnny's okay. That conversation is not being had, so right. it's like I don't know where it's gonna go. That is a very valid answer because I think for throughout this, we don't have any idea. So many times we don't know. I'm curious though. It sounds like your impression is that even if offered let's say we wave the magic wand and get it out there you know do you think people would be reluctant to go get it mm-hmm. initially i think i know people would be reluctant to right. go get it so majority i would say the majority right i would say like 90 percent. okay so how do we how do we move the needle on that now you're talking about grandma you know, or the doctor saying, you know, would do you feel like CHWs would have a good influence? I think CHW is the answer. Yeah. If I could ring a bell, ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, yay! I think CHWs would be the magic pill if mm-hmm. you could give a magic pill to answer it all. And not because I am a CHW, but because of what they do. You mm-hmm. know, they're in the community. And if the CHW that they trust, it takes a level of trust to let somebody in your home. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't just let people in my house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh-uh. So to let someone in your home on a consistent basis or come into that space, you already have trust, you know, mm-hmm. to there. So if the CHW goes in and they have taken it, then they're like, well, why are you took? They're going to ask. They're going to interview you. Like, why did you take it? What happened? Mm-hmm. How you feel? So mm-hmm. you're going to have to go through the interview process with them. Then that'll that'll get those wheels turning. But I think it would take CHWs actually doing it mm-hmm. and showing them. Just that um, the funding, you know, um, part. Because yeah. for us, we're grant funded. And if the grant isn't there, then we don't get to make those changes. Sure. Or for people to really validate what we do, because some people still don't know what a CSW is. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, what What do you do? Oh, I'm a teacher. What do you do? I'm a doctor. What do you do? I'm a CSW. You're a what? Yeah. Oh, I'm a community health worker. What's that? Right. <laughs> they still right. don't understand. So even when you go into those providers or those systems to make those changes and you t- and you tell them who you are, they don't know who you are or or, the, or what you can do for them. So right. that part still needs to be discussed to get the word out. So you're largely dependent upon these healthy start funds. You know, I'm curious. I'm assuming those are not necessarily set in stone. So we have to advocate for them to be renewed annually, biannually? I think they have to submit a grant every year, right. like parts of the grant every year, but um, the duration is for like three years, three okay. to four years. And but, I would assume, you know, Julie, I think you mentioned earlier that there's some really good outcomes from this. I'm assuming you guys are tracking outcomes and return on investment and all these kinds of things to help make the case of why this should be continued to be supported, right? 
Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. This is not something that just feels good, right? Right. This is. It's not something that's like needs to be here today and gone tomorrow. What the, what what community health workers can do is so powerful. Um, but not only does it make the patient, uh, you know, feel better and ha- and make better decisions and like, you, you know, ha- provide that support, all of which are key. But it actually results in powerful, empirical, proven outcomes. So here in our country, um, we've seen community health workers really become part of the system starting back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two populations where um, they really it became evident that community health workers were so key were um, the Indian Health Services working with the Native American population because you can imagine like a, white doctors going into Native American reservations, knocking on doors, or trying to get right. people to take medicines, and the communities were like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you yeah. don't get us. We don't trust you. Very we have reasons. history of like y'all mistreating us forever. Right. So we're not going to listen to what you say. So they hired what they call community health representatives, which is the term in the Native American communities who were from that community to mm-hmm. be bridges, to be emissaries, to help bridge that gap and help both sides understand each other um the other population was the migrant population again different culture trust barriers access issues and so people from within that community helped migrant populations understand and helped the the health system understand that the the folks who were part of that community right and what their desires were so since then and even more over the last 10 years or so because community health workers were named in the affordable care act Mm -hmm. as an important part of addressing population and community health we've been collecting outcomes and there now is a empirical evidence, randomized controlled trials, well-funded studies. The, mm-hmm. the CDC, um, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, have named community health workers as an evidence-based practice to right. address and prevent chronic disease, maternal child health, pediatric asthma, keep people out of emergency rooms, you name it. Right. There's evidence to show that this model works. Right. And it works as part of a health team, part mm-hmm. of a healthcare or public health community-based team to support folks holistically in being healthier and understanding the system and making decisions and advocating for themselves and for their communities and even working at a system level to make changes right. so that communities as a whole can be healthy. Right. And I think that's that's very key. And I know you guys have both brought this up very very well in our center we're starting to pivot and focus more on this but how do we bridge that gap between individuals and communities and the healthcare system because they all go so hand in hand and for too long in this country we've thought of an individual going to a doctor to address their needs and especially as Romaine has pointed out so eloquently it's far more complex than that so yeah I think that's very important you know and I think back to that funding question it's essential so as Romaine and mentioned her work right now is you know funded maybe for a couple more years right but we've heard the impact Mm -hmm. that she has on so many families and on that community as a whole and Mm -hmm. her whole team has on that on that very you uh, population that needs it the most Mm -hmm. right but in a couple years if the funding is not renewed that goes away right so everybody loses right that that child that grandma that that um her 
uh, the the clinicians that are dependent on that understanding and that right. comprehension, right? So, you know, as as one of our, our allied partners says, we need to get to the point where community health workers are the norm. Right. So, you know, if you go to a doctor, you're going to get a nurse, right? right? Mm-hmm. You need to know if you're in a position of vulnerability or a position where you've got risk factors, you need to know that you can get a community health worker. It needs right. to be guaranteed by our system, right. just a regular part of the system, that you've got these experts, these professionals who are experts in not only health and health promotion and, and and things like you know infant health and lactation and all the and mental health and all the things that somebody like Romaine can do mm-hmm. they're experts in their communities they're right. experts in trust building they're experts right. in being able to sit with this family and say hey I got you I'm here with you I can help you achieve your goals and I can do it in a way that's not threatening and that makes sense to you right. and that needs to be like you know, sustained by our health system so that we can make sure that these folks who are in these, you know, kind of vulnerable places mm-hmm. get the help that they need in a way that makes sense for them. Right. CHWs, some people would ask, why are they needed? We already have nurses, we have social workers, um, we have healthcare teams. You know, what does a CHW bring to the table to the healthcare system? And I'm glad you asked that question because that question was asked to me as well. (laughs) I was in um, an appointment with one of my young ladies and her doctor, and um, he was like, so what is is your role? Like, how are you supposed to help um, her any better than I am? And Mm. he he blatantly just said it, you know, didn't sugarcoat it. Um, And my response was, my role here would be to help her understand what you're doing better. You could have a car, and it could be a nice car, but if you don't know, and you could give her the keys to the car, like, this is your medicine, give her the keys. But if she don't know how to open the car door and put the key in the ignition and turn the key and put it in park. Or doesn't have money for gas. I don't have money for gas. (laughs) (laughs) Then you doing your job as best as you're doing your job and her at doing her job the best she knows, the car's just gonna sit there. Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that our role um, is different than their role, but it is it's almost like uh, an additive to their role. It enhances their role. We always talk a lot about, um, I guess, barriers, shortcomings, gaps within rural areas. And a big reason we're doing this podcast is to try to bring out the great things about rural. So, you know, from both of your perspectives, especially, you know, Remain, who are out in the community, tell me what is great about rural South Carolina right now. What's great about rural South Carolina is that it's thriving Mm. and it has resiliency to want to grow. Mm. It's looking for opportunities where it can expand um, and bring in access to different things like telehealth. And um, so that's the good thing about rural from my perspective, that they're willing to grow and expand and Mm. learn Mm. and do more. And more philosophically, this is a pet project of mine, but how do you define rural itself? Like, how do you know you're in a rural place? Or how do you tell someone from New York City what rural South Carolina is? (laughs) I would just put them in the car with me (laughs) and take them home. (laughs) Right. When we go down the road and you went seven miles and you didn't see a gas station, Mm -hmm. you didn't see a convenience store, Mm -hmm. didn't see a stoplight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um... You, you don't see anything but 
feels. <laughs> you see, feels, more feels, trees, more trees. Right. Um, I would describe rule as just um, access to buildings. Like some people mm. can take for granted. They can go out and go a mile and they can get to a fast food place or they can get to a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. You're going to have to travel mm-hmm. to get some bananas mm-hmm. in rural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to have to travel to get to a gas station. The things that people take for granted. Um, my son, he he's like he now lives um, someplace else other than South Carolina. And he's like, Mom, I can go down the street and I can go to Barnes & Noble. We don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the little things. So rule. Right. Um, even at the doctor, you, you want to go to a heart doctor and you having heart issues, can't find. You gonna have to travel right, <laughs> to right. get to a doctor. So rule is just that. Um, it's it's not a lot going on at rule. <laughs> yeah, which is not always a negative thing. It's not always a negative thing unless yeah. you want a banana. <laughs> unless you really want something, right. And then it's a barrier, but. Yeah. When I think about rural, I think about people and friendliness. And I guess like when I spend time in a rural area, my parents live in a rural area, you know, when I'm visiting and spending time with community health workers in rural areas, just the, the friendliness of the people and that little bit, a little bit slower pace mm-hmm. to like have conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes, you know, in urban areas, because we have so many buildings and so many cars, we're rushing yeah. from one place and rushing to the next. And I'm not saying that it's slow by any means in rural, <laughs> but it's but that it just feels like there's a little bit more um, time to build mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. It, you know, especially when there is a, a a trust factor, which is why you know again coming back to community health workers, it's so key because of access issues, because of not having everything around the corner that somebody might need. It's so much more important to build on that power of relationships and power of people um, and that people-to-people connection in, in, in rural South Carolina. Well, thank you both for joining me. This has been a wonderful conversation and listening to your stories, Romaine, have been sobering and enlightening and hopefully that will encourage folks to advocate for CHWs across the state and um, continue to see that progress here. I think that's wonderful. So that's all for today. Please check out our show notes. We'll put links in there for both organizations and um, pertinent links in there, such as our website. We have a dashboard on there, for example, that has travel times for providers like OBGYNs. So that would be helpful for some more context. Uh, Stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon. If you like what you've heard today, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating uh, minimum. And if you have ideas for other guests you'd like to hear on our show, please reach out and let us know. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify so others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at sc.edu forward slash rural healthcare or follow us on Twitter at sc underscore crph. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Columbia. It is edited and produced by Sean Riffle. Y'all take care.